Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who comes to us, that you are indeed wonderful. And so, God, on this wonderful afternoon, this wonderful evening, as we have gathered to celebrate, as we have gathered to worship you, God, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to read the Christmas story again, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Christmas time is a fun time to celebrate so much. And if you're like me, um, you like, I like Christmas cookies. I like Christmas decorations. I like Christmas lights. I like all the activities that go on at Christmas time. There's just so much festivity going on. And Christmas time is a wonderful time for us to gather together with our loved ones, Christmas gatherings, eat lots of good food, enjoy fellowship with our family and our loved ones. And of course, Christmas time is also the time where we offer gifts to one another. It's a big part of our Christmas tradition is offering gifts to each other. Now, when I was a kid, um, my family, my mom primarily, was the one who purchased our Christmas gifts. And uh, all during between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I would scour the house, uh, finding all the places where my mom uh, hid the Christmas presents. And I always found them. I always knew exactly what I was getting for Christmas. And so um, when it was time to open the Christmas presents, I had to kind of like be the actor of the year. Oh, wow, I had no idea. Oh, this is so neat. Thank you. I knew, I knew all the Christmas presents, all the Christmas gifts that I was going to get as a kid. How many of you are excited uh, to give a Christmas gift this year? Just there's a Christmas gift that you're just like, oh, I'm so excited. How many of you are uh, on the other side? You're really excited to receive Christmas gifts this year. Come on, be honest. How many of you are most excited for the Christmas gift that you bought yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, many of us buy Christmas gifts. I was doing some research for today, and I learned that one retailer said that 57% of Americans buy Christmas gifts for themselves. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, no shame in it. I mean, we just, you know, just feel the cheer. Feel the love. Just, just love yourself. Give yourself a big old hug and put that Christmas gift under the tree. I also learned uh, that women are better at shopping for Christmas gifts than men. One credit card company uh, states that uh, when a woman uh, buys a Christmas gift and gives it to someone else, there's only about a 10% chance that that gift will be returned. If a guy buys a Christmas gift and gives it to someone else, it's about a 17% chance that that person is going to re uh, return that gift. I mean, ladies, you just, you're just better at this. Ladies also spend more time shopping and preparing and getting ready and buying all those Christmas gifts. And gifts are really important for retailers. Retailers know how important this season is. About 70% of all revenue uh, that retailers receive comes between Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is a big deal, this is really important. So all those retailers, they are paying attention to you. And they know your shopping habits, and they are going to lean in to your shopping habits. 
And this year, the Gallup pollsters, they said that Americans, they went to the Americans around Halloween and said, how much are you planning on spending on Christmas gifts this year? And this year, according to the Gallup poll, the Americans said that they are planning on spending $932 per person on Christmas gifts. So if you spent $932, you are average. If you spent more, good for you. Way to help our retailers. If you spent less, you might be called a Scrooge, right? Big bucks. These are really big bucks. Last year, uh, according to Gallup, it was 837. This year, Americans were planning on spending $932. So gift giving, at least according to you all, the consumer, is up. Now, I don't know if you're just accounting for inflation or what. So maybe you're planning on giving flat. We had to adjust a little bit. And so we're giving each of us, every single American, $932 uh, to those, our loved ones around us. So where does gift giving come from? I mean, we talk about this. This is so important to our Christmas uh, tradition. And all of us will practice gift giving at some level. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, it comes from the Magi, right? And the Christmas story, the three kings, the three Magi, the, the Magi that came from the East, they came following the star, and they show up the place where Jesus was born. Remember, we read this story, they bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's where gift-giving might come from, right? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. It's a good thought. But as far as it relates to Christians, to the church, when people began giving gifts in a regular and practical way, that actually didn't happen until about the fourth century. There was actually a guy in the fourth century, his name was Nicholas of Myra. And Nicholas was a bishop. He was a, a church leader in the fourth century. And he was a very compassionate man. And he loved Jesus. And he wanted to help people who didn't have so much. And so Nicholas, he would go around and he would help poor people. He would give them food and clothing. And if he saw a child, he would give them toys. And so when he died on December 6th, that became the date known as St. Nicholas Day. That became the day when people said, we really need to honor this man who loved Jesus so much and he gave gifts to people who didn't have so much. So that became known as St. Nicholas Day. So truly, you've heard of St. Nick. He was a real guy, and he did real things. And he did these things because he loved Jesus, and he was filled with compassion. And as this tradition went along, for the next decades and hundreds of years, the tradition got added on, and things started to be uh, embellished with the story. Pretty soon, the story of St. Nicholas made it to the Netherlands. And then in the in the date in the late in the Danish language the, 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 the language of the Netherlands, the people were trying to explain the story and tell the story of Saint Nicholas. And the, in, in their language, it's Sinta Colas. Santa Claus. Do so you wonder where Santa Claus comes from? From Saint Nicholas. So if you've ever celebrated Christmas with Santa Claus. You should thank the Jesus followers, those who love Jesus. 
You should thank Jesus for showing up. Because without Jesus, there would be no Saint Nick. Without Jesus, there would be no Santa Claus to give presents. And of course, as this story grew and got embellished, pretty soon, Saint Nicholas all of a sudden was wearing a red outfit. There were reindeer and elves. Santa Claus lived in the North Pole. He flew on a sleigh around the world. And miraculously, he delivered all the presents overnight. And of course, as he wandered around and he saw people, he brought cheer, cheer, and joy. He said, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. I mean, this is the Santa Claus we know, right? Comes from Nicholas, Myra, in Turkey in the fourth century. This idea of giving gifts at Christmas time. It's pretty fun. It's pretty special. As we think about gifts at Christmas time, I think the greatest gift that was ever given to us was the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we celebrate all the gift giving, I want to encourage you to be reminded that Jesus is truly the greatest gift that has ever come into the world. And people were expecting him. It's not like when Jesus showed up on the scene, people said, oh, who is this guy? What's going on? They were waiting for him. They've been waiting for him for hundreds of years, waiting for the Messiah. And as we read throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over, there are 300, more than 300 prophecies, more than 300 predictions, anticipating, expecting this Messiah, the Savior who would come and rescue God's people. In the Christmas story alone, there's 55 Old Testament prophecies that speak to all that was going to happen on that first Christmas morn. And many people recorded it. And as they talked about it, they told the story and retold the story of these actual events that really happened. And one of the guys who liked to tell this story over and over was a guy by the name of Luke. Luke was not a Jewish guy. He was not, you know, one of these guys that was practicing Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a physician. But he was kind of like a reporter or a historian. And he went around to all the eyewitnesses in the first century. And he asked them questions. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about this Messiah. Tell me about this person who came. And then he carefully and meticulously wrote down the story of Jesus in his entire life. And then he would fact check by talking to other people over and over and over until he had refined this story, until he figured that he had gotten really clear with all the details of Jesus' life and coming into the world. And this is what Luke records, writes down for us. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, 
who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room uh, available, for, uh, no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So what Luke tells us, is that Jesus Christ was the greatest gift to ever come to earth. Of all the gifts that we could ever receive, Jesus is the gift that God has sent to us. And why was this gift so amazing? Why was this gift so great? Why was this gift so wonderful that they sang about just a few minutes ago? Will the angels tell us? The angels, as they were speaking to the shepherds, they tell us exactly why this gift who had come to earth in the person of Jesus was so important and so special. And Luke records it this way. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice that Luke did not write, today a great teacher has been born. Today, a great preacher has been born. Today, a great life coach has been born. Today, a great moral teacher who's going to just encourage you uh, in all ways has been born. That is not the language that Luke uses. He says, a Savior has been born. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because you and I are sinners. Merry Christmas. Now, I, there might be some of you sitting here thinking, I just came to Christmas worship, Christmas Eve worship, and the preacher just called me a sinner. You are a sinner. And I'm a sinner. We are all sinners. We are all in need of a Savior. Now, how do you know that, how do I know that you're a sinner? I know this because I've talked to enough of you. And enough of you have talked to me. And those of you who have ever raised children, think back to when they were toddlers. 
How many of you had to teach your toddler how to be selfish? How many of you had to teach your toddler that the world centers around them? I mean, think about it. On Christmas Eve, if, if you neglect a meal, if you neglect nap time, if you take a toy away from a child, that toddler will ruin your Christmas. Because toddlers are some of the most selfish people in the world. That's the way they were born. You and I are selfish like toddlers. This is just who we are. This is our human nature. I think about that movie Nemo. Remember the movie Nemo and the, and the flying seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. That's us. We're the seagulls. And we go through life and we want everything to be ours. We're selfish. This is just who we are. Every philosophy, every religion understands this problem, this human condition. There's something wrong with me. And if you do some just careful analysis, you know there's something wrong with you. You know there's something broken in you. You know that not everything is right in you. There's a disconnect. Every religion teaches this because we know this. This is just what it means to be a thinking person. Every philosophy, philosophy teaches this. We know that things are wrong. And so what religion and philosophies attempt to do is to explain what's wrong with you and how to fix it. How to make it better. Do these things and you'll feel better. Try these things and you'll be a better person. Be more disciplined. Work harder. Try harder. And there's a prescription from every single religion, every single philosophy, to get at what is wrong with you and to get at what's wrong with me. But Jesus has a different message for us. It's not about do harder, do, do, do better, work harder. It's frankly really the message of Santa Claus. Because you know when Santa Claus comes, he comes to, to bring toys to all the who? The, the good boys and girls, right? This is what we tell our children. Santa Claus has come and he's coming and so you need to be really good. Because there's two lists, right? There's the naughty list and the nice list. Which one are you going to be on, right? I mean, we say this to our children. I mean, this is, and this is truly the philosophy of humanity. It's karma. When you do good things, good things happen to you. And when you're naughty, when you misbehave, you get a lump of what? You know that story, right? That's the story of Santa Claus. Better watch out. You better not pout. Be a good child so that you can receive a Christmas gift. Now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I get it. I'm not that bad. I'm not. I mean, I can think of several people who are worse than me. Okay, I'm not perfect, but I can think of at least five people. We can all think of five people who we know are worse than us, right? 
five, five people who are bigger sinners than us. And, and, and when you get down the list, if you can only think of three, then you're probably pretty bad. And you know, you're probably going to add uh, like Hitler and Genghis Khan and, and some really bad people to the list, right? But we can all think of people that are worse than us. And the problem with that is it's not the standard that God offers to us. You might recall the time that Jesus was preaching a sermon. He was talking to a group of people. We noticed the Sermon on the Mount, and they're like, Jesus, what do we need to do? How can we be made right? How can we fill this problem within us, this thing in us that's, that's called sin, this thing that separates us from one another and separates us from God? What do we need to do? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what you need to do, how you need to live. He says, be perfect is your heavenly Father is perfect. That's it. It's all you got to do. If you want to be made right with God and with other people, just be perfect. And then he closes the sermon, asks everybody to bow their heads. It's like, okay, now what do we do? So I thought a little bit about this. Which list are you on? The naughty list? Or the nice list? Because we all want to be on the nice list. We all want to be in good relationship with one another, with God. And so when Jesus comes along, he sets a whole new standard. He sets the bar really, really high. If you want the gift, this gift of getting rid of the sin in your life, of being in perfect relationship with one another, in perfect relationship with God, you just got to be perfect. What do we do? I think there's four responses. There's probably more, but I can only come up with four. So I, I got the, 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 here's, I'm going to give you four responses to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. How we can make it on the good list, I'll just say. The nice list. Number one, live perfect. That's all you got to do. Never sin. Never have a bad thought. Don't cuss. Don't say mean things to other people. Serve other people. Love other people always. Bat a thousand in your behavior. Bat a thousand in how you live your life. Spend your entire life trying to live up to perfection. And spend the rest of your life just aspiring towards perfection. Every time there's a bullseye out there, you just, you just keep hitting the center over and over and over. That's what it means to, to be and live in perfection. How are you guys doing with perfection? Now, some of you can think of other people, maybe in the room, who are like, ah, I'm married to that person, right? Or, you know what I'm saying, right? But if we're honest, I think perfection, as Jesus tells us, that's what we're supposed to do. We're just going to move that one aside right for, 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 for right now. Second response. Don't even try. Don't even try. I mean, perfection is pretty hard. In fact, perfection is impossible. And this is what somebody who might be a self-described atheist or an agnostic uh, or some of the language today is, I'm a non-religious person. I'm not even going to try because Jesus' standard is perfection, so I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm just going to ignore the Bible. I'm going to ignore Jesus' teachings. I'm going to ignore all philosophies. I'm going to live for me. I'm just going to do what I want to do and spend my entire life. I'm going to be my 
uh, moral philosopher. I'm going to be my compass for living my life. In the words of the philosopher James Brown, you, you got to live for yourself, yourself and nobody else. This is the way of the world. This is the world in which we live today. Everybody just do whatever you want to do and ignore the teachings of Jesus and frankly, all other religions. So the first response is, I'm all in. I'm going for perfection. The second response is, I'm, I'm all out. I'm not even going to try. The third response, <laughs> I just wrote, edit Jesus' response. What I mean by this is simply, oh, come on. Jesus didn't really mean it. He didn't really mean that we're supposed to be perfect. He was speaking metaphorical, right? He was speaking aspirationally. That we should just strive for perfection. We should just strive to do better in our lives. This is what many people try. Maybe you've tried it. I know I've tried it. Tried to be perfect. But I can't do it, so I just I edit Jesus' words. I, I change his words to fit myself. Thomas Jefferson, the guy who wrote, you know, some great documents in our nation, he actually got out of scissors one day. And he cut up the Bible for all cut out the sections of the Bible that he didn't like. It's called the Jefferson Bible. And I think he did what all of us have tried to do. He was just very honest about it. He's like, no, 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 I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like this. And so his Bible got really, really thin. And I think most of us, if we're honest, the more we read God's Word, the more we read Scripture, the, the story of God and the story of Jesus, if we're to edit it down, it's going to get down to about one piece of paper, right? Maybe even an index card, a three-by-five card. I'm just going to do me. Because I think that's really honest when it comes all down to it. Oftentimes what we do is we want to edit Jesus' words. He didn't really mean it. So then there's a fourth option. Receive the gift of perfection, but receive it on Jesus' terms. I would call it a Christmas gift exchange. How many of you are going to have a gift exchange at some point in time over the next few days or already have? Yeah, I think probably most of us here. So we get it. We know how Christmas gift exchange works. You take a present and you give it to someone and they take a present and they give it to you. And this is what Jesus is explaining and describing what it means when it comes to living perfect. It's a gift exchange. And Jesus' terms are this. He says, here's how this is going to work. I want you to give me your life. And I'm going to give you my life. We're going to exchange our lives, everything about us. So let's start with your life first, or my life. Everything about your life and my life, all our good deeds, all the ways in which we have loved and cared and served for others. All the ways in which we've sinned against God and sinned against other people. It's kind of a mixed bag, right? And some of you might be thinking to yourselves, you know, I, I serve at Midwest Food Bank. I help people. I've given money to homeless people. I've shown up at sore events. 
and I've loved people who are disabled. And you probably have a list of the different good deeds that you've done. We bring these deeds, we put them in a package, we wrap them up. And this is what scripture tells us about our good deeds. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So on your best day, the best way that you are loving and serving other people and loving and serving God, the Bible calls that filthy rags. When you're thinking, well, what about the New Testament? What does the New Testament say? But my good deeds. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all uh, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Paul describes you and me. Their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's your gift to God. That's who you and I are on our best day. That's what we bring to God. These are Jesus' terms. And then God says, let me tell you what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you Jesus, my son, a man who never sinned, a man who always loved, a man who cared for people unconditionally, a man who never thought badly about you, no matter what you have done. Jesus was perfect and holy. And what God says that's the gift I'm giving you. You give me your garbage, even your best deeds, I'll take it. And I'm going to give you Jesus. When we receive the gift of Jesus, he actually makes us holy. We received his holiness. The theological term is his imputed righteousness. So when you're having, you know, Christmas Eve dinner, what did you guys talk about at church today? God's imputed righteousness. Isn't that a great term? This is why Christmas is good news. Because when we receive the gift of Jesus Christ, he makes us holy. He makes us perfect. There's this exchange of gifts that happen. Our garbage gifts for God's perfect gift. Martin Luther called this the great exchange and it happened at the cross. Jesus took your sins and my sins, all of our sins. He says, let me do something new with you. I've got a gift for you. I'm going to give you perfection and holiness. When we look at this gift, and I think oftentimes our response is, too good to be true. No way. It's too much. Come on, i got to do something, right? And God says, No. I'm just going to give it to you as a gift. And this is why we gather on Christmas Eve to celebrate this gift has come to us. This gift of Jesus Christ, not that we deserve it. He's come anyways. And he says, I want to make you new. I want to free you from all that binds you up. I want to set you free. I want to 
open your eyes and open your life to joy and peace like you've never experienced before. The Savior has come because we need saving. The Messiah has come because we need liberation. Today we celebrate the greatest gift who has ever arrived in this world. His name is Jesus. And when we receive this gift, it changes everything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. And on this Christmas Eve, we remember again that in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the music, the goodies, family time, you've come to earth to make us new. And so God, I pray that you would make us new. That, Lord, we might receive this gift again. Or that maybe we might receive this gift for the first time in our lives. Because, God, we need you. We need rescue. We need to be healed. We need to experience your freedom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.